0: Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at LighthouseChurchNC.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the Dream Team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoy today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. If you can, go with me to Exodus chapter 25. Um, I'll let you sit in just a moment, but let's get into our scriptures. I'm only going to read two verses for you today. So Exodus chapter 25, and we're going to go to verse 8 and and, and read this passage, and then I'm going to pray with you, sit you down, talk to you for a little while, and then after that, we're going to sing some more songs and send you on out of here. It's going to be a great day. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 8 says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them you must build this tabernacle. Can you say tabernacle? And its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Can you say pattern? There was a pattern that God was trying to teach Moses so that he could teach the people of Israel. And so today I want to talk to you off of this thought that the Lord gave me, the prayer of God's people, the prayer of God's people. We're going to dig in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for how you are moving in this house. We thank you because we felt you in our worship. Father, we felt you even before worship. We felt you as we gathered as a team, and as we prayed together, and as we began to anoint every chair in this house, you've been moving here today, Father. And now I just pray that you open up our ears to hear, that our our spirits would be receptive to your word. God, we want to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, giving the Lord one more round of applause in this house. All right. So listen, we are in this season of prayer. We are in 21 days of prayer as a church. And um, it's never a bad season to pray. We're never out of prayer season. But what we have done over these last couple of weeks, and we've got one more week to go, is we've put an added emphasis on prayer, and I've challenged you to pray more than you normally have. I've, I've challenged you to devote more time to prayer over the course of the next 21 days, and so we are well into it, and as I mentioned, we talked about the Lord's Prayer last week, and today I want to talk to you about um, a different type of prayer that's called the Tabernacle Prayer. So I had you repeat that word, the Tabernacle. So it's the Tabernacle Prayer, and, and I, I called it the Prayer of God's People because this was the first mention of. Um, of this prayer and it was directly to the nation of Israel to the people of Israel and so so God reveals this to the Jews and that's why I've called this message the prayer of God's people before he taught the Lord's prayer he gave them this pattern and that's really what we're doing is we're applying this pattern into a plan of prayer for our lives there is nothing um, prescriptive about this this is just a pattern this is a description this is a way that we can pray and, and and meet with God by going through these steps in your prayer. Now, I, I don't know if this is helping you or not, but what I'm really hoping to do is equip you because how many have ever got up out of bed in the morning and really decided that you were going to pray and about a good two minutes in you were done. You're like, I don't even know what to talk about anymore. And so I, I teach that it's always good to have a plan before you go into prayer. It's good to write down the things that you're going to pray for. And then you actually pray those things. It takes your prayer to so much more depth. And so that's why we've been teaching this. And so as we look at the tabernacle. Um, the tabernacle was this constructed um, tent that the nation of Israel would take with them as they were wandering for 40 years. In the wilderness. Now the tabernacle, and, and and for those of you that were hanging out with us, we had this dream team party for everyone that's on our dream team. We were at the beach yesterday, and and, and I felt like they constructed a tabernacle. They did this ingenious thing where they put all these tents together and tied them all up, and all these canopies. I was like, my God, this is amazing. Got a little city in here, and um and it kind of reminds me of the tabernacle because it was this temporary dwelling place. And every time that they would move to another location that God was telling them to go to, they would take this tabernacle with them. It was this this portable church if you will much like us today and so they would take this thing from place to place but once they would set up the tabernacle there was a there was a plan there was a pattern that they were to pass through as they would go and bring their daily um, and and on holidays and on yearly prayers and and offer their sacrifices to God and that's what we're going to talk about and so when you looked at this tabernacle the first thing that you would see is is the outer the the, the outer covering of this tabernacle and you had to pass through this outer covering they would they would it they would encompass the entire tabernacle with these these stakes and, and 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 they would have the fabric that was covering this thing much like a tent but without a top so just the walls of a tent if you will and you had to walk into there and the minute you walked through that front door you are now in what's called the outer courts can you say out of the court outer courts And so the first thing that I want you to write down is you you didn't just go into the outer courts any old way. The Bible says that when you entered into the outer courts, you needed to begin with praise and thanksgiving. That's the first thing that I want you to write down. When you come to God and you come to God in prayer, the first thing that you should do as you approach God is you should approach him with thanksgiving and approach him with praise. And so the Old Testament tabernacle had this outer curtain. and, And what's beautiful about this is There was a single entrance into the outer courts. Everybody say a single entrance. I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. What's, what's powerful about this single entrance and, and you, you had to approach with thanksgiving and praise is that there really was only one way to get into the tabernacle. There was not several ways to get into the tabernacle to go and have an encounter with God. There was only one way in and everybody walked through that one way in. It didn't matter if you were rich or if you were poor, everybody went in the same gate. It didn't matter if you were, it didn't matter if you were a priest or the, the 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 I mean the sinner of the sinners, they all walked through the same entrance. There was a single entrance, and it didn't matter who you were, what your pedigree was, who you were in this life, the good or the bad that you've done, there was one way that you walked into the tabernacle. There was only a single point of entry into getting to this place where you could meet with God. And what I love about that is that as a type and shadow of Jesus, because how many know that the only way to get to God is through Jesus I said how many know that there's only one way to approach the father and that is through his son Jesus and we all approach Jesus equally and that's another powerful application because it doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been it doesn't matter how much money you had or how much money you didn't have we are all equal in the eyes of God can I get a good amen on that can I get a good amen on that We are all equal in the eyes of God. And what's crazy to me is how much our nation is divided over these walls that don't even exist. How many know that there is no barrier between the person on the right or left of you and the person in another country? We are all equal in the eyes of God. And that's why racism and division and and poverty lines and all of that is just insane to me because we're all equal in his eyes. And that's why we ought to love everyone the same way. And that's why we ought to care for everyone the same way. And no one has special privilege or access to God, but we are all equal in in our ability to come to God. And what's powerful about that is it doesn't matter how you've been doing. Because sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we get real religious with ourselves. There's times when we feel like we're doing really good. How many of you like had some of those good weeks where you're like, man, I've been a good Christian this week. I've been a real good, I didn't cuss no one out, I didn't steal no money, I was faithful to my wife, I was a good man. And sometimes we approach God feeling like we've earned something because we've done something so good. And sometimes we approach God thinking as if we we have now special access, but God is a respecter of no persons. That's what the Bible teaches. We are all equal in God's eyes, and he respects no person. As a matter of fact, many times what we think on the outside looks like someone who's got some special favor with God, God's like, man, but have you seen their heart? Have you seen their heart? I was rocked this week in in, in a a, a bad way. Um, I was rocked this week because... I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I, I brought up another pastor friend up, and who's um, out of state, and I said, you know, Pastor so-and-so, man, God just, God just uses him, and man, I just love listening to his sermons, and he gave me that look. He's like, you don't know. I'm looking at him like, don't know what? And he was telling me this tragedy of how he was unfaithful, and he had to give up the church and all that, and, and what's crazy about that is this is a guy that I like to listen to. This is a guy that I like to listen to his sermons. This is a guy where when his podcast would come up, I would listen. And I, I guess I've been so busy with the church, I didn't even realize he hadn't preached since April. And, and my, my friend's like, you living under a rock? I'm like, no, I'm planting a church. Might as well be. Just kidding. Um, uh, but I had no idea. I had no idea. And, and, and what it looked like on the outside because he had a big church and multiple campuses and it looked like, man, the favor of God is on his life. The inside, what God was most concerned with, I couldn't see. And so you cannot judge the, you cannot judge a person's relationship with God based on what you see on the outside. And don't let anyone teach you that messed up theology and that messed up way of thinking that if you have nice stuff, you have favor with God. That has nothing to do with it at all. And so there was this single entrance into the tabernacle because it set the precedent that we are all equal in the eyes of God. There was a single entrance because it didn't mean if it didn't matter if you were the high priest or the worst sinner of them all. We all enter into the same gate. We all go to God the same way. And so in this pattern of prayer, we approach God with thanksgiving and we approach God with praise. Psalm 100 says enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. And so in this pattern of prayer, the first thing you should do when you get down to pray is you should just thank God and praise him. You just thank God and praise him. And if you have a hard time remembering what to thank God for, that's why I encourage you to write it down before you start. Start listing the blessings. Start listing the things he's done for you. Start listing the the doors that he's opened for you. Start listing, listing all those things that he has for you, the food on the table, the roof over your head, the car in your driveway, the clothes that you have. You've got so much to be thankful for, church. You've got so much to be thankful for. You know, I was watching this documentary recently on Netflix. I love watching documentaries. And um, this gentleman from from what used to be, you know, the Soviet Union, Russia, he's talking about, you know, all these people in America say that they're entering into postmodernism and that it's no longer a Christian nation. He goes, man, if you lived where I live, trust me, y'all are a Christian nation. And I get that things are changing quickly in our nation, but we are still a nation under God. And, 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 and many of you will never see the type of poverty that exists on a global level. I mean, you're just comparing yourself to the neighbors down the street. But as a country, we are a blessed nation. As a people, we have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of blessings. You need to pause and be thankful for that. This is why everyone in this room should at some point go on a missions trip. It will give you an eye-opening experience as to just how good you have it here. And so you begin your prayers with thanksgiving, and you begin your prayers with cross, and you come before him. And before you do anything else, just thank him. Just thank him. Don't you wish your kids, parents in the room, don't you wish your kids would approach you like that sometimes? Come on, can I get a good amen, mom and dad? Instead of hearing, dad, I want to go to Target, or dad, I want to go to Walmart. Can't you thank me for the toy I bought you yesterday? And I think that's kind of how it is when we go to God. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. He he might not say it, but for those of you that are parents, you know what I'm saying? Like, can't you just thank me for what I did last week? Can't you just begin with the posture of gratitude? Can't you just begin with the posture of praise? And when when, when you get beyond that, the next thing that you want to do, and I want you to write this down, remember the cross that's that's the next big point remember the cross so we we begin with thanksgiving we begin with praise but then you remember the cross and so what would happen as they entered into the tabernacle they would walk through these gates and the very thing the very first thing in front of them was an altar everybody say an altar and you know what they did in the altar it's old testament don't 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 get freaked out okay all my PETA people in the room they sacrifice an animal okay so that's the first thing this is bible okay this is not pastor josh he's like he's crazy They're killing animals at that church. Old Testament, all right? Old, old stuff, all right? But they would come with an animal, and they 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 would sacrifice that animal, spread the blood over the uh, spread the blood over that altar, and um and and they would do that in order to receive the forgiveness of the sins. That each person would come and they'd bring their animal, they'd give it to the priest. The priest would have a way of preparing the sacrifice, they prepare the sacrifice, sprinkle it right there over the brazen altar. They would get the meat of the animal and burn it because this thing was uh, it's called a brazen altar because it was on fire. So they're literally cooking the meat like we were cooking the meat yesterday at our tabernacle at the beach. That was some good meat, by the way, brother Sam. He's an incredible butcher. He prepared some. Excellent meat. Let's give Brother Sam a round of applause. <laughs> Ate so much meat yesterday. Anyway, total digression here. But they would come in, and that was the next thing that they would they would find when they entered into this tabernacle. It was the brazen altar. Everybody say altar. And we know that without the sacrifice of Jesus, without his sacrifice, we would receive no forgiveness of sins. You see, in the old model, in the Old Testament, they were constantly, constantly Constantly sacrificing animals, sacrificing animals, sacrificing animals. I mean, I was I was listening to this talk, um, and, and and from Ben Shapiro, and he was interviewing someone, and he was um, he was talking about how in the Old Testament, um, pretty much these these priests were butchers more than anything else. I mean, the amount of animals that they were killing in order to offer up sacrifices of sin. I know we think of priests, and when we think of the priests, we think of the the white robe, but th- they were like covered in blood, as they were continually offering sacrifices for the people and all of that pointed to the one sacrifice that was greater than every sacrifice in this world that all pointed to the sacrifice of God's son Jesus and how many know that without the shedding of his blood we would never have enough of our sins forgiven every time that they would sin they'd go and offer a sacrifice they would sin they would go and offer a sacrifice but Jesus said I'm coming and I'm going to sacrifice my son for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life the sacrifice that we have from Christ Christ has forgiven all of the sins, and we don't do any of that animal stuff anymore because a sinless lamb, a spotless lamb, a sinless person offered up his sacrifice once and for all, and that's the cross. How many of y'all thankful for the cross? How many of y'all thankful for Jesus? How many so thankful for what he did for us? And so as you go into your prayer, you should always, always, always remember the cross. One of the most beautiful things we do here at this church is every Sunday at 9 a.m., while some of you are still getting dressed to come to church, our dream team is in here. You want to know what we do every single Sunday morning? We take communion together. We take communion as a way of remembering that his body was broken and his blood was shed for the so that we could not only receive healing, but we could receive forgiveness. Two things, healing and forgiveness, because what's the point of being healed if you're still not forgiven? And so you got to have forgiveness and healing. And so we we take communion together, and what it does is it aligns our hearts. And it makes us, it causes us to remember why we do what we do. It's all pointless if it's not for the cross. None of it even matters if it's not for the cross. It doesn't matter what you achieve here in this world. If it wasn't for the cross, we are nothing. And so when you go into this place of prayer, always remember the cross. Always pause and thank him for the cross. Never let the cross become old. Never let the cross become routine. Never let the cross become religion. It's relationship. And we have access to the Father because of what Jesus did. Can you can I get a good amen on that? And then after... You pass through the brazen altar. You would go through to the next part of the tabernacle, which was the laver. And the laver was a place where they would wash their hands. I said a minute ago, those priests were a lot more like butchers than the priests that you might have in your, in your mind because of all the constant sacrificing of animals. Well, they, they couldn't move on into other priestly duties until they washed themselves. And the Bible said that they would wash their hands. They would wash their hands of all the blood. They would change those garments that were dripping with blood, and then they would even wash their feet. Not because their feet were playing with the carcasses of the animal, but because of something that had far more significance after that. So the third thing that we do in our prayer is we we pray for cleansing and preparation. Can you say cleansing and preparation? It's the third thing that I want you to write down. Cleansing and preparation. They would go to the laver and they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet before they would go into the tabernacle because it prepared them for what was ahead. It was a place of preparation. It was a place of washing. Not only would they wash their hands and their feet, and what I love about this is it would begin to prepare them for where they were going. And this is why in our prayers we should always ask God, God, I want you to wash me. God, I want you to cleanse me. God, I want you to prepare me. The reason that they washed their feet and the reason that it wasn't just the hands and the reason that they washed their feet as well was because it was they were preparing themselves for where they were going. And I wonder if we spent our time in prayer in the morning, not just praying for God to wash us. Because how many know that every single day we, we, we got to get God to just kind of wash some of our thoughts? How many know sometimes we think some things that we got to like unthink? Can, can, can I get you all to be honest with me? You, you know, someone cuts you off and you're like all of a sudden thinking something that Jesus wouldn't want you to think. And if you're being really honest, you might see the FedEx guy. He's kind of cute and you think about him something you shouldn't have thought. Or maybe you saw the secretary, I'm sorry, the administrative assistant at work, and, 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 and if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll think things that you shouldn't be thinking, and you ain't got to go think, God, you're going to go sacrifice an animal after that, but it is okay to come back to God and say, God, can you just remove these thoughts that I was having? Can, 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 can I get this heart right again? I I need my mind to be right again. And so we we go before God and we ask for this cleansing, but we also ask for this preparation because it's not just, this is so powerful, you got to get this. It's not just asking God to remove what happened the day before or that day, but it's preparing for what's ahead. Because how many know a good number of you need to pray before you get on that freeway? Like God, before I get on that freeway, and say something that I'm going to regret later in front of my kid in the back. And then you wonder where they hear that. They heard it from you on the freeway. Um, God, be, before, before I get on that freeway and tell someone they're number one, before, God, I go and do all of that, could you just begin to prepare me for this day? God, I, I, I need to be in a good place. I need to be in a good space. I need to be in a, good, in a good place before I go. I need to have my mind right before I go. So the, the, the labor was this place of cleansing and preparation for not just what they were doing, but also where they were going. And what's powerful about the connection between the brazen altar and the labor was the brazen altar was a place of, of, of death and sacrifice, but the labor, the water is a place of life. It's a place of life. We, The enemy has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and life in abundance. So, so the labor, the cleansing, and the preparation really speaks to now um, this exchange of, of, of death for life. Because Jesus gave his son as sacrifice for us because he died for our sins. Now we have life. And that's a great place to be at. That's a great place to be at, to know that before I start this day, day, I can go out and live an abundant life. How many want to live a life in abundance? I mean, I'm talking about a good life, thriving life in abundance. And so we want to thrive in this relationship. So it's it's, it's, it's so important that, that we have it in our mind that before I go. There is this exchange for death and life, and because now I have life, I can go out and live my best life. I have my son memorizing scripture right now because I want to make sure that my son gets the word of God on the inside of him. So my son is nine years old, and I I, I print it out because, I mean, he's old enough. You know what I'm saying? At nine years old, they're old enough because I realize he sings a lot of songs, you know. He's like singing marshmallow, you know, you're a sunflower, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know I got a nine-year-old kid. And I can, like, my son's memorizing all these songs, and he knows all of it. I'm like, how does he know all this stuff? He's really into Spider-Man. But I'm like, if he can quote lyrics of songs. He can quote some scripture. So I started putting some scriptures on his walls, and he's, he's reading. This is one of the scriptures that I have. I say all that to read this verse because I'm, I'm having to memorize this. Paul said, and so, my brothers and sisters, I plead with you that you give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable, for this is truly the way to worship God that our lives would be a sacrifice. So, so before we leave, we say God cleanse us, prepare us for this day before. And the next thing that we do in our prayer is we invite the Holy Spirit. And right there I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into our life. Invite the Holy Spirit. We pray God, I invite your spirit into my life. Okay? And so they would pass through, they would enter the gates They would go by the brazen altar. They would go by the laver. And then there was the candlesticks right there. And they would invite the Holy Spirit in at that point in time. They would light the candles because now they were going into, they're no longer in the outer courts, but they're now moving into what's called the holy place. So there's a tent now within the tent, if you will. So there's this tent that they go into, and there's no electricity. All right? And so they have to light the candles of the menorah, And that was the only light that was in now what's called the holy place, which is this completely covered tent, sides and top. They they would light the candles and go in there. And 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 that was a way of inviting the Holy Spirit into that room, because if they didn't light those candles, they wouldn't have light for what was happening next. They wouldn't have light for everything that was going to happen next. They would light the candles. And when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life through your prayer, listen, you have got to do this intentionally. We did this this morning in prayer. Listen, too many of you just assume, watch this now, many of you are just going to assume that God's spirit is going to be with you everywhere you go. But when I read my Bible, the Bible says that, behold, he stands at the door and he knocks. You see, he's a gentleman. He doesn't ever assume that you're going to want his spirit going with you wherever you go that day. So the reason that we invite his spirit in is because we're letting him know, God, I need you today. I don't want to go to work without you today. I don't want to go to whatever I've got to face today without you today. I don't want to go to my kids' soccer practice without you today. I don't want to go to my kids' softball game without you today. Some of you men really need the Holy Spirit to go with you to your kids' games. Because you're trying to relive your memories through them, and it's a mess, okay? So you invite the Holy Spirit in. You you invite the Holy Spirit in by by that very special prayer. Isaiah 11, 11, 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You invite God in. God, I need your spirit today because I need to make the right choices. God, I invite your spirit in today because I need to do the right things. How many can be honest and know what it's like to say the wrong things? Huh? Come on, where are all my husbands at? How many of you said something that felt so good? You're like, yeah, I, finally I said it. And then two minutes go by, you're like, man, I could have not said it. I would feel a lot better about that. This is it just me? Don't look at me. Don't leave me up here all alone, okay? How many of you said something that felt so good in the moment, then you're like, yeah, I should have just let that one go because <laughs> this couch isn't very comfortable. I just should have let it go. I'd be on the bed right now. And we we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and invite him into that place of prayer. Next week, I want you to, I want you to come every week. But next week, I'm going to get really bold. And we're going to be talking about praying in the spirit. If there's a right way and the wrong way. You really don't want to miss that. I'm really excited about that. My notes are done. And now I'm praying for praying in the spirit. Like I'm like trying to saturate myself for that because it's going to be so good. And, and, and part of that is inviting the Holy Spirit into that place of prayer. Inviting the Holy Spirit into that place of prayer saying, God, I need your spirit here with me. Now, the next thing that they would do after they would light the candlesticks in the holy places, then they would go to the table of showbread and they would have a little bread. They would eat. They finally got to eat. Some of us like to eat before we do anything else. That was like five steps in. okay? and 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 what that really represents. Write this down is declaring the word of God. Everybody say declare. Declare the word of God. Declare the word of God. That's got to be the next part of what we do. We declare the word of God. When we declare the word of God, we're saying, God, your bread that you have for us, your daily bread, I'm taking that for my life today. I need that in my life today. We we, we spent some time talking about this, but the the table of, of showbread that was there in the holy place, the bread, there was 12 loaves of bread on top of that table. And that always pointed to, that was a constant reminder that God was going to be their daily bread now daily bread you might be thinking like he's just going to be like food for them. daily bread is an analogy that God would meet every single one of their needs. How many of you have confidence that God is going to meet your need I do i don't I don't trust in my ability I don't trust in my job I, I I don't trust in anything that I've attained I put all of my hope and my confidence in Jesus he 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 is my daily bread. And so what you do in your prayer place now is you pray the scriptures. How many of you pray the scriptures? Is this new to some of y'all. Pray the scriptures. You you take a scripture from the Bible and you read that scripture, but you begin to pray it. And you begin to say that prayer again and again. And then what you do is you take that scripture and start to apply it to your life. And so if you start praying, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and of sound mind, You take that scripture and you would start praying. You say, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. God, you've not put fear on the inside of me. God, I declare today that the fear that I'm feeling has not come from you. And because I don't have fear from you, I don't have to worry about anxiety. And I cast that out because fear does not come from you. I don't have to battle with depression because fear does not come from you. I don't have to battle with insecurity. You start taking the word of God and declaring it over your life. That's a powerful thing to do. How did Jesus cast out Satan? How did he war with Satan when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? What did he do? He quoted the scriptures. Every time the enemy would come and tempt him, Jesus would quote a scripture. And he would send him on his way. And then the enemy would come and he would send him on his way. You've got to internalize the word of God. And then pray that thing over your life. Pray. Because there's days where you don't feel like you're more than a conqueror. But you pray that verse, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You start praying that scripture. And as you begin to pray that, you begin to start believing that for your life. And so the table of showbread represents how you must pray the word of God over your life. Pray the scriptures. Believe them. Declare them. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. I feel love coming. I feel power coming. I thank God for a sound mind. I don't have to deal with all kinds of crazy stuff in my head because God's giving me a sound mind. You start to pray those scriptures and watch what begins to happen over your life. And the next thing that they would do after they would leave the table of showbread is they would go to the altar of incense. There was a second altar now. There was the brazen altar outside. But the altar of incense where they would simply just take different incenses. In. And I was, like, trying to, like, you know, as you study, I'm, I'm like, I wonder, I, wonder what they, I wonder what they were burning in the holy holy place. Because I'm like, I want to burn some of that stuff in my house, too. And then I found out, like, no one really knows. And that was a big disappointment to me. Um, but I was, like, trying to go deep. I was like, man, what were they? Was it frankincense? Was it myrrh? What was it? And it was like, no one really knows. And I got a little upset. But anyway, um, when you when the, the, the altar of incense represents really the place of worship. Write that down. Offer your worship. That's the next thing you do. You offer your worship. The difference between worship and praise is praise is you're thanking God for what he's done. But worship is simply worshiping him for who he is. Listen, God, even if you don't give me the man I want, I'm gonna praise you. I'm still, you're still good. Even if I don't get the job that I wanted, God, you're still good. Worship is really saying, God, you know what's best for me. There was two big statements that I made at the conclusion of the last, last week's sermon. And I hope you caught the second statement. The second statement was this. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Now, the caveat being, it may not be your prayer. What do you mean by that? You might be praying for something that God ain't going to give you, but don't think for a second because you brought that to him that he's not going to answer it. You got to be okay that when he says no, it's a divine no. You you hear me, church? Because many of us think, well, God didn't answer my prayer. No, he did answer your prayer. It wasn't what you wanted. It's what he wanted. It's not what you thought was best. It's what he thought was best. So when you prayed for that girl and God didn't give her to you, it's because he knows she's not the right person for you. So you thank God for it. And I know many of us are like, but I just want him to do what I want him to do. He's not a genie. He's God almighty. And he holds your life in his hand. And so when you walk away from prayer, this is, worship is one of the last things to do. You You worship him because you know that he's answering your prayer and maturity. True spiritual maturity is even if the answer is not what I want, I still receive it in my life. (laughs) Even if it's not the way that I thought that it should go, I still receive it for my life. I still receive it for my life. God works in mysterious ways. You know, my grandfather, and I'm coming to a close now um, if I get the worship team get ready. My grandfather, uh, many years ago, shortly after, man, I think it was like a quadruple bypass heart surgery. I mean, it was like, everyone, get to the hospital. Tata's not going to make it. This was like, man, I want to say early 2000s. You know, so we all go pray with him. And, and you know, we called him Tata. That was, that was our name for him. And, you know, it, he just kept on trucking along and just kept on going. And then um, he got dialysis. Uh, he he sorry, he got, um, um, oh, man. What's the word? You go to dialysis for it? Uh, thank you so much. Diabetes. Diabetes. Because of diabetes, he started, needed to take dialysis. And uh, my grandfather was so reluctant to take dialysis. He just wouldn't do it. You probably got a family member like that, too. He's like, nope, not going to do it. If 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 I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, and we're like that you don't understand. I'm like you can, you can still be effective and serve the kingdom of God. Cause my grandfather was a phenomenal preacher, uh, one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And we're like that you I mean to do the dialysis, okay? You can continue to preach and be a blessing to the kingdom of God. So finally, he's like, fine. Let let's start this thing. So he started doing dialysis mostly because I think he knew that he might be able to eat a little more cake, you know. So, like. <laughs> that's just me (laughs) that's my observation (laughs) he's like having cake like you're not supposed to eat that i got dialysis in the morning what you know um so um but they told us they were like when they started dialysis it was so bad they said look we're gonna put him on dialysis and you're gonna get him for maybe another two to five years two to five that's what you're gonna get right and then six rolls around (laughs) and then seven rolls around and then ten rolls around And I would tell people, how's your grandfather? I'm like, man, between dialysis and Jesus, he is trekking along because he's already living on God time. Because the doctor said two to five. And when he made it to 15, 15, okay, that's when God took him home. That's when God took him home. But one of the beautiful things that I've learned of the many lessons that I've learned about my grandfather is he never stopped worshiping. He never stopped worshiping worshiping and he never stopped bringing people to jesus my grandfather while he was there at the hospital and, and, and we knew that i mean this was it, like this was really it i mean we had a lot of times where we're like this is it and he would go like another two years we, th- we just called him Tha-tha the tank at that point we're, we're like he's never gonna die it's not gonna happen um he would just keep going keep going but when we knew like no no no, no for all real, for all real, for real. it's like okay you know, so we're we, we're all families getting ready and like the nurse is there And he looks over at the nurse, and he's like, do you know Jesus? And he's laying in the bed. And like, that's just my grandfather. That's just who he was. He was never going to stop worshiping. He was never going to stop worshiping. He was never going to stop living for God. And in spite of what was happening in his life, he never stopped. His worship went far beyond his circumstances. Too many of you only praise God when things are going your way. That's not worship. Worship is giving him everything that he's worthy of in spite of what you're going through, and then you get to the last place here. after they would offer up their worship, then there was one more little room there was a canopy within the canopy within the big tent, right so you got the outer courts, the holy place, and then there was this place called the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies, there was one thing in there it was, it was the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant in that day represented the physical presence of God. Because even though God was in heaven, wherever that ark went, God went with them. So what they would do is before they went in the battle, they would take the ark with them. Because they were like, man, as long as we got this ark with us, no nation can beat us. And so they would take that ark of the covenant with them everywhere they would go. But once a year, once a year, the high priest would go into that room and he would make intercession. That's the last thing that I want you to write down. Write down, make intercession. Make intercession. This is when. He would then pray for the needs of the people. I mean, Israel, the nation, on a a national level, he, he would pray for the people at that moment. I want you to get this for a second. It was only then that he would begin to pray for what they needed. It was only then. Seven steps to this prayer, okay? Seven steps, and we don't talk about what you need until the very end. It's the last thing. The very last thing. And we prayed this tabernacle prayer this morning, and I explained to, the, to our prayer team this morning that was praying, too many of us make our needs the first thing. We walk into prayer, that's the first thing. God, this is what I need. Before we say anything else, that's the first thing. And the tabernacle prayer puts the things that you need at the very end. And I have found that the reason this makes so much sense is when i give everything that to god that i believe he needs and i'm praying those things that are so important to him first when i get to my needs they seem so small they seem so small and some of you have taken your needs and made them so big so big that they're bigger than the faith then they're bigger than the size of your faith and that's a real problem When your faith is smaller than the size of your problems, you're not going to win. You've got to have faith that is bigger than your problems. And so if your marriage isn't doing so hot right now, how's your faith? If your relationship with your son or daughter is not doing so good right now, how big is your faith? If things aren't well at work, what's the size of your faith? And I believe that the reason the intercessory part was at the very end is you go down this path with God. That all of your needs, you just know that God's got it. How many been there before? You just knew God was going to get it. God was going to get it. I tell the story. I'll close with this story. I really wanted to be here at this high school when we were getting ready to launch this church. Like I looked around, saw different cities in North County. We knew we need to come to North County. That we knew. God was calling us to North County. And then I was like, you know what, I really want to be in San Marcos. I feel like that's where God's calling us. And so we prayed for that. And then I was like, you know, I really want to be in Mission Hills High School. I feel like that's the place we got to be on, on that, that eastern side of San Marcos. There's a lot of incredible churches on the west side. Um, and I felt like God was calling us to the east side. But I needed this door to open. And so I contacted the school district. And they said, really sweet lady, really sweet lady. But I said, oh, no, dear, they ain't going to rent you that place. I'm like. Yeah, but there was a church there before, and that's why they ain't gonna rent you that place. There was a church before. They decided, no, we ain't doing that again. Um, I said, all right. Well, can I talk to the principal about it? Nope. Don't you talk to me. You don't talk to the principal. But but I think if I but I think if I talk to the principal, I'm a pretty persuasive guy. I used to negotiate for a living. I'm like, let me talk to the principal. <laughs> she was like, you ain't talking to the principal. I'm talking to the principal but I'm like, I don't think you're going to really talk to the principal for me, like the way I need you to talk to the principal. Don't worry about it, honey. I got it. Okay, fine. I'll talk to the principal, okay, because sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So I did just say that. Sorry. I repented to God. He he dealt with me. And then he gave us his place because I just knew that God was going to take care of it. I just knew that God was going to take care of it, and I just knew that he was going to work it out. But during that time, I remember mean, you, could, you could ask some of our people in our launch and be like, Pastor, where's church going to be? I'm like, God's going to provide. And they were probably wondering, like, you know, Dan was probably like, what, where are you going to go, Josh? Like, where are we going to be? And I was like, don't worry about it. God's going to provide. We're like building this church and we got nowhere to go. But God had a plan. And you see, when, when, when you make God's priorities your priorities, he is going to meet you in your need every single time. Come on, clap your hands if you know that he's going to meet you at your place of need every single time. So my needs at the very end of that prayer, my intercessory prayer right at the end. And I need to tell you how the rest of the story, well, here we are, and God saw fit to bless us that way. And listen, many of you, many of you got a big need. And and you're wondering, God, why aren't you hearing my need? I'm asking you, have you prayed like this yet? H- have you have you prayed like this? Have you taken the time to give God his worship? You've brought your sacrifice. You started putting scripture on the inside. You started praying scripture. I'm telling you, if, if you start doing all of that stuff, watch what God does with your needs. Watch what he does there. Would you do me a favor, you? bow your heads, close your eyes, right there where you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I just pray right now for that person who's in here, and they're not hearing They feel like you're not hearing their prayer requests. They're feeling like you don't love them. They're feeling like you can't be found in this season. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would just be reminded, God, that you are for them. Your your, your promises and your word is yes and amen. But, God, your, 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 your main desire is to bring us closer into this place of relationship. It's, it's teaching us to pray this way because as we pray this way, we see you in a way that we've never seen you before. We're worshiping you in a way that we've never worshiped you before. And we're praising you in a way that we've never praised you before. So I pray, God, that all over this house, that, that you, would, you would ignite a hunger on the inside of us for prayer. Ignite a thirst on the inside of us for communion with you, God. My prayer, God, is that that our prayer life would not be a last resort turning to you when we've exhausted all other options, turning to you when there's no other way out, turning to you, Father, as the last option. I, I pray that prayer would be our first option. I pray that we would learn to put you first, Father. I pray that you would be the first person that we run to with our, with, with, with our need and, and the first person that we run to with our stories and the, the first person that we connect with, with the ups and downs of life. God, I, I pray that we would put you first, Father. I pray that we would put you first. We ask all this in your name in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to get you on your feet right now. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.